You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Galatians 3 Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaanbaum Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, The Wells, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Tom Barthel, serving as pastor at Trinity Lutheran, a Wells congregation in Nina, Wisconsin. This is episode number 96. We'll begin this episode with Moment with the Master, shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. Hello, welcome to the next edition of Moment with the Master. Uh, we're looking at today 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 12-13, through 13, which read, That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. All I want for Christmas is... Is that a famous song? Or is it something on your mind? What do you want for Christmas? Well, I could really use a new... Well, I hope Mom Mom and Dad have gotten the clues for this new toy. I really want all the decorations out and the cookies to turn out just right. What do you want for Christmas? Isn't it so easy for us to get focused on all the stuff of life? In fact... All the stuff of life often has a way of attracting so much of our attention that we begin to forget about what's most important. So God gives us a proper perspective on the stuff of life. It's all going to be destroyed and burned. Everything that we have is a gift of God, and that he's entrusted to us to use and find enjoyment in. But all of it is just temporary and fading and and soon to be outdated. But what won't ever go out of date? God's promise of a new heaven and a new earth. With the blood of Jesus, God has bought for you something far greater, far more wonderful, far more awesome, far more magnificent, far more valuable than anything this world can offer. Eternal life in the home of righteousness. And that'll never go out of date. All I want for Christmas is Jesus, who's come to rescue me from my sins and win me a new heaven and a new earth. I'm treasuring what is eternal, just like you. This is a song called Water and the Word by Branches Band. No! 
We return to Pastor Mark Falk, who continues a study of First Peter. First Peter 1, verse 12, NIV, 1984. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. The beat goes on. Moses spoke and wrote of the prophet like him, Jesus, Messiah, who would come to Israel. In Psalm 22, David foresaw Israel on the cross and soldiers at the foot of the cross gambling for his clothing. Later prophets added their words. Isaiah painted a vivid picture of the suffering servant. Detail upon detail of the long-planned salvation was written, read, and reread added to by following generations of the holy men of God. These prophets came face to face with the miracle and mystery and glory of the scriptures. They wrote them, and then they studied them. And the Holy Spirit taught them that they were not writing for themselves. They were writing for me and for you. When Peter wrote these words, a fisherman writing in very polished Greek, thank you very much, he wrote for the people of Asia Minor, Turkey of his day. But the people of God kept these letters, and the letters of Paul and John, they kept them for us and for themselves. Later prophets, not the inspired prophets Holy Scripture, but prophets who read and studied and passed on the message, kept the beat going on. John Huss, Wycliffe, Martin Luther, and so forth. And then the prophets of America, C.F.W. Walther and August Pieper, among others, brought the same message of Jesus found in Moses and Isaiah and the Psalms and the epistles of Peter and Paul to immigrants in the new country. I could add my childhood pastor, Dr. Henry Cook. You might add the man of God who passed on to you the message of a Savior's blood, of a brutal cross, of an empty tomb. Nor should we forget Christian day school and Sunday school teachers, not inspired writers of the book, but used by the Holy Spirit to pass on the wonderful truth of salvation purchased and won for us by the Savior David and Jeremiah and Isaiah once foretold. How thankful we might well be when we think about it, that God could use frail human flesh and reason and turn dreadful sinners into tools of the truth of salvation. As we preach and teach, or feed our children on the pure milk of the word, as we simply pass on, proclaim what the prophets of the past and of our youth have taught us, we too are not doing this just for ourselves. We are part of the chain. Again, the beat goes on. 
You were ready for heaven the moment the Holy Spirit worked faith in your sinful heart. Perhaps when you were just hours or even minutes old. But now you live to pass on the truth, to be God's tool in claiming the elect of this day. What wonder the prophets must have felt when it sunk in that they were serving you, even though they could not, not imagine who you might be. Who is it that you might be serving? just by speaking the simple truth of salvation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. Just one soul in heaven through you as the instrument will make for eternal ages of joy. We too do not live for ourselves. Thank God for that privilege. Born again, all who believe and are baptized. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 God makes it clear all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. There are no exceptions. We all need something other than ourselves or we all remain under God's curse for sin. That is why Christianity stands on the word and promises of God. Whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. All baptized believers can rightly say, I am a son, daughter of God through faith. I am baptized and clothed with Christ. All of you who believe and are baptized, Paul says, will be saved. No curse remains for God's own, only blessings, as his own Newborn sons and daughters, the promise goes on. Forgiveness, protection, comfort, peace, eternal life, glorified bodies, the wedding feast of heaven. The promise is for all who are baptized. Yes, one can cast off Christ and reject his gift of righteousness and lose their faith. But you, by the grace of God, had been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and made into a new creation. It doesn't matter if you are young, old, Wicked, sinful, even the vilest and worst of sinners. You are saved by the washing with water through the word. You who believe and are baptized have been born again. You have a new life. You belong to God. Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Mid flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Lord, I believe where sinners more than sands upon the ocean shore. You have for all a ransom paid, for all a full atonement made. That's from Christian Worship Hymn number 376. Jesus, your blood and righteousness. Lord, may we hold on to those words given in Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27. You are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Up next, we'll join Pastor Timothy Smith with God's Word for you. God's Word for you, Job 31, verses 29 to 40. With these verbs, or with these verses, Job is bringing his closing argument to an end. Notice that the final phrase of verse 40 says, The words of Job are ended. He begins, If I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune, or gloated over the trouble that came to him, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking a curse against their life. 
He's going to continue to talk, but Job continues to insist on his innocence with a final group of four sins. The first is rejoicing even over the troubles of an enemy. That kind of vindictiveness is a very difficult temptation to fight. For one thing, there are many psalms we call imprecatory because in them we ask God to be victorious against his enemies. But we don't seek revenge for ourselves. If God chooses to use us to overcome some of his enemies, it's best done with the gospel and not the sword. I've actually thought for many years that the best punishment, and it would only seem that way to to, to him, for Osama bin Laden would have been to have had... uh, to have caused his entire family and following to convert to Christianity. Um, But, of course, only the gospel of Christ can bring that about. It would make bin Laden cringe and squirm in his grave. And there are some people in our country who only want revenge, but God would have all people be saved, not just people that we like or people that we trust, but everyone. Let's continue with Job. If those of my household have never said who has not been filled with Job's meat, but no stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveler. Um, Okay, he's still speaking. I'm going to stop again, though. There was a time when inhospitality was unthinkable. If a beggar or even an enemy came to your door, you were duty-bound to see to his needs. This is an important point in the, in the plot of Wagner's The Valkyrie in 1870. Uh, uh, Solomon said, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In Proverbs 25, Job's hospitality is something we have seen and heard all throughout the book, sometimes from Job, but from the author and from Job's friends as well. Let's continue in the middle of his speech, 33 and 34. If I have concealed my sin as people do by, biding, by, by hiding my guilt in my heart, because I so feared the crowd and so dreaded the contempt of the clans that I kept silent and would not go outside. I want to pause there because Luther used this passage to make a point about covering up a sin. A murderer or thief who kills another stealthily, grabs, uh, stabs him to death or poisons him will greatly... Uh, will will display great adeptness in concealing his deed, uh, Luther said. That's why Job said, have I concealed my sin as people do? However, the murderer's conscience will convict him. If another word accuse him, he would reply, you're lying. Let's continue with Job. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as a ruler. From this point, we would move ahead, or we could move ahead to the speeches God will make, uh, beginning in chapter 38, except that we have a, a, a rash young man about to open his mouth, and the Lord will be patient with that guy while he talks. But Job is once again crying out for an answer from God. He asks his accuser, not Satan, who, as earlier in this book, but his Ish Revi, the man of my dispute, uh, for the accusation to be put into writing. Job declares that if such a document were written, he would wear it or carry it on his shoulder, like a soldier carrying a banner. The Puritans adopted this idea and forced accused sinners to wear large, uh, a large letter on their clothing, proclaiming their sin on their chest or shoulder, as in Hoth- Nathaniel Hawthorne's scarlet letter. But Job, if he knew his sin, would put it on like a crown. 
That statement isn't a confession of sin, but a confession of faith that there is no sin that he committed that brought his troubles down on his head. He finishes by saying, If my land cries out against me, and all its furrows are wet with tears, if I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, then let briars come up instead of wheat and stinkweed instead of barley. The curse Job finally calls down is the curse of God upon Adam, thorns and hardship. In a world where the harvest meant life or death, Job asks for thorns and stinkweed. Uh, I don't know, a, a more accurate translation of basha is, I think, is stinkweed than the older, uh, NIV's milder, just weeds. Such weeds appear to be grapes or other plants that simply don't mature and rot in the field or vineyard, reeking and stinking and useless. Job feels that he is prepared to hear from God. Job, in fact, is demanding an answer. But we'll see what God's answer will be. The chapter ends with this sentence. The words of Job are ended. From this point, Job will only speak briefly a couple of times, each time repenting of sins and showing his faith in his forgiving God. After a series of speeches from this fourth friend, Elihu, God himself will finally speak from the storm. In fact, maybe the author used Job's words, if the furrows of the fields are wet with tears, to keep us mindful of that coming storm that's now fast approaching. You have time to consider Job's demand. Can you put yourself into God's shoes? Can you answer the bold demands of this suffering man? Is it a soul, an eternal soul, that is at stake? What would God's most important concern be for Job? How would you answer? In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. We'll close this episode by sharing a hymn sung during chapel services at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. You can hear more of these and the chapel services at at wls.wells.net.
You've been listening to Cannonbound Podcast, episode number 96. This episode was first shared in February of 2015. For more information, visit canaanboundpodcast.com. We encourage you to visit a Wells Ministry location nearest to you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us.